Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode 104 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm an employment solicitor and HR specialist, and I run the firm Real Employment Law Advice. We provide advice to employers and employees on all aspects of employment law, and we act for clients around the UK. So wherever you may be based, we may be able to help you with your case. Oh, I inadvertently did a rhyme there. Uh, Maybe that will become my tagline in future. Um, So once again, thank you very much for tuning in and listening to this week's podcast. This week, I'm going to be focusing on a particular case, and this is a case from the Court of Appeal. And it is particularly important for those people who employ night workers, so people who sleep in, and is particularly relevant to the caring industry. So without further ado, I'm going to get into this week's featured case. So as I said at the beginning, this case is one that's recently been decided by the Court of Appeal and it involves the coming together of two cases on the same issue and they are the Royal Mencap Society and Claire Tomlinson-Blake and also John Shannon, who's the employee, and it's his employers are Clifton House Residential Home. Now, because of the importance of this case and the issues that were being decided, Care England and the Local Government Association applied to provide representations in relation to the issues that were being dealt with, and so they are named in the case as well. So by way of a background to this case... It concerns the national minimum wage and the calculation for working time for the purposes of the national minimum wage regulations. Now, for those of you who have listened in the past will have heard me talking about the working time regulations. Now, the working time regulations are different and there are different considerations in relation to the calculation of working time. Just to summarise, the difference is that the working time regulations govern the hours that people work and deal with things like the average working week, the entitlement to paid leave, so annual leave, time for breaks and limits on the certain number of hours that employees can work. So there are different ways in which you calculate working time for the purposes of the working time regulations. Now this case is to do with the national minimum wage and how you calculate wage. And the issues that have arisen in this case are that in many situations where caring is involved, for example, employees are required to sleep in. So there's a requirement that there's somebody on site sleeping in whilst the residents or the persons that they're looking after are also sleeping in most cases. And It's standard practice where employees sleep in to pay them a fixed sleep-in rate. So rather than pay them per hour that they're actually sleeping, the customer practice has been to pay an allowance for that sleeping-in time. And in many cases, employers will then pay a set amount or an hourly amount if employees are woken and are required to undertake work during the night. There have been a number of cases in the system 
prior to these cases that we're dealing with here in the Court of Appeal, which have tried to iron out the issues, should I say, about whether that sleeping time is time that should be paid for at the national minimum wage or not. And so the main issue that fell for consideration and decision by the Court of Appeal was, for the purposes of the national minimum wage regulations, does sleeping in time count for the calculation of the minimum wage? The court helpfully set out the essential issues for consideration here, and this is what distinguishes this case from some others, is that in these cases they were contractually obliged to sleep the night at or near the workplace, and they were expected to be asleep, and it was possible that they may have to do some work during that time if required. So that's a bit of background. In order to work out the national minimum wage and to see if somebody's being paid the correct hourly rate, essentially what you do is you take the pay reference period, so that's either a weekly or monthly, and you divide it by the total hours that they've worked in that time. So you take their pay, if they're paid monthly, and you divide the number of hours in which they've worked. And in these cases, what the employees were saying was that they've done substantially more hours than they're actually being paid for. And therefore, they weren't actually being paid the national minimum wage and therefore they should be paid more. So just what are the facts of the individual cases? Well, the first case was the employee, Miss Tomlinson Blake, who was employed to provide care and support to two men who lived independently in their own private homes. So the Royal Mencap Society provides support and care to vulnerable adults and those of learning difficulties. And the idea being that these gentlemen were to remain in their home and they had 24-hour support and care. Now, Miss Tomlinson Blake worked for two individuals and she was required to do a day shift, uh, as were other staff, and also a sleep-in shift. Now, the sleep-in shift was from 10pm till 7am. And in that time, she was paid a flat rate of £22.35 for sleeping in and always an extra hour of £6.70, I believe. So it's about just under £30 for a sleep-in period from 10pm to 7am. And that was in addition to the normal day shift work, which would be paid at the normal hourly rate. The requirement was that she had to remain at the house. She had to stay in the same place, basically. Um, she had to have a, what was called a listening ear. So the idea being that the reason why she was required to sleep in was to be able to listen out for the gentleman that lived in the house to see if they needed any help or assistance. She was provided with her own bedroom and bathroom facilities and washing facilities, etc. So there was a designated space for which she could sleep in. And the facts were established that actually the requirement to wake up and do anything was fairly infrequent. Um, in fact, I think they say in the facts that it was only six occasions over 16 months where she was woken in the night. So there was every expectation on both the employer, the Royal Mencap Society and the employee that during that time, 10pm to 7am, she would actually be asleep. So there wasn't an expectation that she would be awake and working. In the second case, Mr. John Shannon and Clifton House Residential Home, Mr. Shannon occupied accommodation, so a top floor flat, which was above the residential care home, Clifton House, which housed 16 elderly residents. When he moved into the accommodation, he made a deal with the then owner that he would live in the accommodation and he would just provide backup support when required for 
the on-duty night care worker. So he was required to be sleeping in the flat from 10pm till 7am again and to assist if needed. In return, he received free accommodation and a weekly allowance, which went from around £50, I believe, up to about £90 per week in the end. And Mr. Shannon had a day job. And I understand that he wasn't actually required to do very much or very much on call because there was actually already a duty night care worker. It was just a case, by the sounds of it, of having another person in the building. Now, both employees brought claims for the national minimum wage based on the time in which they were sleeping in. In this case, the Court of Appeal helpfully analysed the national minimum wage regulations and the report of the Low Pay Commission that fed into the national minimum wage regulations, which sets out details about working time and the determination of whether somebody is actually at work or not. And in summary, the Court of Appeal decided that the time spent sleeping for both Miss Tomlinson Blake and Mr Shannon wasn't actually time they were required to be working, but actually just time that they were required to be available. And they said that the essence of a sleep-in contract is that a worker by arrangements, sleeps at the workplace and is given suitable facilities to do so. This is different to somebody who works overnight and who is permitted to sleep whilst they are at work during downtimes, for example. So the judgment refers to a number of cases that come before it, including cases of night watchmen who were essentially permitted to sleep but weren't actually provided with any facilities to do so. So in those cases it is different because they're not actually sleeping in, they're doing a job in which they may have times when they don't have to do anything so they can sleep rather than the other way around. And I think that's where the distinction lies. So if you employ somebody who essentially you expect them to be sleeping the whole time, then they wouldn't have to be paid the national minimum wage unless they're actually waking up and undertaking work in that time but if you employ somebody who doesn't have a space to sleep who is perhaps let's just say a security guard or a night watchman and you know that they're not actually got much to do during that time so you don't mind if they actually fall asleep but you don't expect them to if you like then you would have to pay them the national minimum wage so for people who sleep in if they're available for work but not actually working, then you don't have to pay them the national minimum wage for the full time. And only the time that they're awake and actually doing things would count. So in Miss Tomlinson Blake's situation, she was already paid an additional hourly rate, regardless of whether she was woken in the night for each sleep in that she did. And if she worked for more than an hour, so if she was woken and she had to deal with something that took more than an hour, then the employer would pay her an additional hourly rate. And the Court of Appeal agreed with that. And they said that has to be the right circumstances and the right case. And the same with Mr. Shannon. They decided that he wasn't required to be doing any work. He was just required to be sleeping in the location. And therefore, they also didn't have to pay him the national minimum wage for that full time. Now, this decision will certainly come as a relief to those who rely on caregivers, particularly so that's in residential homes or within the their own home. 
And it means therefore that employees can continue to receive the allowance for the inconvenience of sleeping in, if you like, and obviously pay for any work time, but that there is not this requirement to add all of those hours. So sometimes sort of eight to 12 hours of sleeping time to their normal hours for the purposes of calculating whether they get the national minimum wage or not. Now, there may be some cases, and it's recognised within the judgment, that don't fit within this definition and that it's necessary to look at what the regulations actually say. So if you're in a, a difficult situation or you're unsure if you fall into either of the categories that I've just talked about, then do get in touch. I'd be happy to help you to work that out or to give you some advice and guidance on that. My email is alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk. And for those of you who are interested in the formulation of the national minimum wage regulations, if you have a good read of the judgment, it gives some good background to it and some really helpful analysis of the law in this area. I will, of course, put a link to the case in the show notes so you can have a look. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. As I said at the top of the show, we do provide advice and assistance to employers and employees throughout the UK. We are specialists in our field and we can certainly provide you with advice and assistance when you need it. So if you'd like more information or to get in touch in any other way, you can contact me by email. It's alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk. You can also find full details on our websites, which are realemploymentoradvice.co.uk or adviceforemployers.co.uk. Finally, before I sign off, we are still looking to recruit another solicitor based on the South Coast. So if you are a solicitor or you know of anybody who specialises in this area of law who might be looking for a new opportunity, we would love to hear from them. Again, you can get in touch with me directly or also you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening and have a fantastic week. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.